0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. It's me, Sarah Ivory. I'm your host. Today, gender trouble in our day schools. Over the past several decades, it's become more and more common to encounter religious women in professional roles. They're doctors, professors, scientists, even rabbis. Yet, while religious women have gained acceptance as professionals in their community, Their sons and daughters often get very different messages about acceptable and unacceptable gender roles at school. There, at school, rigorous training in Jewish thought, or math and science for that matter, may be offered to boys only. And girls may find that more attention is paid to the length of their sleeves and the length of their skirts than to the questions they have about Rashi. Differential treatment of boys and girls is not, of course, unique to Jewish day schools. But for those invested in giving their kids a religious education, it should be cause for great concern. So says Ilana Stockman. Stockman holds a doctorate in education and sociology, and she's written extensively on gender issues in Jewish life. Her new book, which she co-wrote with Chaya Gorsetman, is called Educating in the Divine Image. Gender Issues in Orthodox Jewish Day Schools. The book recently won a National Jewish Book Council Award. Stockman is speaking with us today from her home in Modi'in. Ilana Stockman, welcome to Vox Tablet. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Ilana, your book is based on you and your co-author's own research, as well as that of other people. Tell us a little bit about the research that you two did. What sort of questions were you asking, and who was answering them?
1: We conducted a teacher survey among day school educators about all kinds of subjects. We asked about pedagogy, we asked about how ritual is conducted in the school. We also asked about leadership, we asked about school decor, about the mission of the school. We also asked about sexual harassment. We asked about dress codes um, and how they and they how they are enforced. It was a whole range of topics. That eventually became the became the themes of our book. Um, that wasn't the only research we conducted. The teacher survey was one bit of our research. We had other bits of research also. We conducted a, a survey of school books, looking at gender images and and language in over 50 workbooks used in Jewish studies in fourth and fifth grades. We also integrated the our own research with some of our independent research that we had conducted. So my doctorate is on adolescent religious girls in school and about identity formation. So I spent a couple of years doing um, observations and interviews with high school girls in a religious school in Israel. So we integrated some of that. So the book is really a compilation of all of that. We wove it all together, all the different pieces of research and a whole bunch of anecdotes. Because as soon as we started doing the research, people kept turning to us with their stories, writing and calling us with all kinds of different experiences that they were having as parents and as teachers. And even as students, we had emails also from students in school describing um, different experiences around gender. So the book is really woven around through a, a lot of different um, components of research. And these were
0: predominantly modern orthodox uh, schools that you were looking at and modern orthodox uh, people whom you were asking questions of.
1: We were asking predominantly modern Orthodox educators, but not only. So of the 172 respondents that we had on our teacher survey, for example, around 130 or 133 to be precise were from um, uh, modern Orthodox day schools. And the rest were from all kinds of different schools, from community schools and other denominations and also ultra-Orthodox. We didn't really include ultra-Orthodox schools in our findings. And only in Israel? No, no, it was it was actually it was the teacher survey was mostly American schools.
0: In the book, you are looking at the different ways in which these ideas about gender get passed along to students both intentionally and unintentionally. And a person might imagine that these ideas don't really come into play until kids reach bar or bat mitzvah age around 12 or 13. That's not really true, though, is it? I wonder... That's not true at all. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about when these notions of gender
1: uh, really get introduced in school. From day one. <laughs> these are issues that they, they start when a child is born. And the very first question people ask is, oh, is it a boy or is it a girl? But what's really interesting is that we found that the early childhood years are among the most dominated by, by gender issues. Like what? so so for instance in early childhood years in jewish schools there are two primary locations in the classroom experience where Judaism is transmitted. One is through Friday afternoon getting ready for Shabbat and one is morning prayers. And in both of these there are some really stark gender issues that are taking place. So take prayer for example, even among 3 and 4 and 5 year olds, you have a lot of schools which will still make the boy leading the prayer service will be the chazan, what's called the, the cantor, the leader, and the girls will be in charge of, you know, choosing a picture or choosing a song or handing out the prayer books, the sidurim. So even then, you know, they're, they're three years old, they're four years old, and the boys are the active leaders, the ones standing in front of the classroom leading, and they're the ones who get to wear the prayer shawl, the talit, and they, and they get to make all the brachot, and everybody looks at them and says amen to them, and the girls are the ones, you know, helping out, or looking pretty, or passively taking on other roles. So, so that's one, one really interesting issue in, that takes place in early childhood. The other one is Shabbat, which is Friday afternoon or Friday morning, where um, many Jewish schools, and this is not just an Orthodox school thing, but most Jewish schools prepare the children, the, the the children for Shabbat by teaching them that there is an Ima of Shabbat and an Abba of Shabbat, like there's a mother and a father. And schools have lots of different ways for telling the boys what it means to be the Abba, the father, and telling girls what it means to be the Ima. So sometimes it'll be that the boy is in charge of making the blessings on the wine and the the girl is in charge of lighting the candles. Sometimes it's that the boy has to practice singing while the girl has to go home and, you know, bake a cake, for example. But what's interesting is that in almost every single early childhood classroom, there are gender segregated roles. So that children from really early on are learning that keeping Shabbat depends on what gender you are? There is a version of Shabbat that's for boys, and there's a version of Shabbat that's for girls. My, my husband actually wrote an article about this in the Journal of Jewish Educational Leadership a couple of years ago around my daughters when my youngest daughter was in kindergarten. And we had this experience where they invited the parents to have this Shabbat party to to celebrate you know, with the children what Shabbat means. And the way the teacher then did it is she called up all the boys and all their fathers to come. And they they all stood there in the front and they were... Um, leading the blessings, and they were singing, and the girl, and so my daughter at the time, she wanted to make the blessing too. She wanted to say kiddush, and she was the only girl who got up there and wanted to do kiddush with the boys. And suddenly, all these other, this this other mother started mocking her. She's like, "Oh, your daughter wants to be with one of the boys also." And my daughter, of course, heard that and quickly sat down. And so all these boys were sitting there and there making kiddush and they're having a great time. And then it was time for the girls to get up, and the teacher said like this: She said. And now, the men—they are all coming back from shul, from synagogue, and they come inside and they see their pretty daughters and their beautiful wives and the beautiful table that is set so beautifully. And they think to themselves, "I am so happy. I wish my life will be like this every Shabbat, like that." This is <laughs> this is the story that my husband wrote about because uh-huh. actually he went to this. I didn't even go, right? So what you're, what the kids are learning is that. The boys' job, the men's the boys and men's job is to do stuff, to pray to God, to go out there into the world, to be active, vocal members of society. And the girl's job is to look pretty. You know, my dress is as pretty as the table. <laughs> the table is set just like my body is. You know, they're they're picking up these messages from really early on. And it is so dominant. And and effectively what we're saying is that there is no such thing as a gender-neutral Shabbat. We are, we are not teaching that there is a Shabbat that belongs to everyone. We are saying that in order in order to keep Shabbat, you have to first enter your gender script. You have to first figure out which side am I on? Am I on the girl's side or on the boy's side? And then I could figure out what Shabbat is. And And that's what kids are picking up. That's what we're teaching and that's what kids are picking up. I was struck, and this is along a similar note in the
0: book, by the examples you give of the relative invisibility of girls and women in the classroom materials in day schools and books and posters and so forth.
1: Yes. Yes. You know, my, my, I, I, the first time I saw this was when my son was in um, fourth grade. He was um, He came home with a math workbook. It was a math workbook specifically designed for the state religious school system. Now that raises a lot of questions to begin with. Why are kids in a state religious school learning math from a different curriculum than the state schools are, which raises its own question but okay, so he had this workbook and i 'm helping him with his homework and i 'm starting to notice that there are no girls in the book, so it 'll say things like you know they 're learning fractions so Danny and Adam and Steve all ate a pizza and had to divide it, you know, (laughs) like that. Things like that, or you know, every example that they gave were examples of boys. I looked through the entire book. I looked through the entire book. There was not a single example of a girl in any one of the problems. So that was really striking. So that's why Chaya and I started to look at. We started to do a more systematic analysis. And we were really surprised. the 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 worst books are actually the Siddurim, the prayer books. There are some prayer books that really have no women in them at all. Even even saying you know saying some of the blessings, let's say like Havdalah, you know the blessing you make on Saturday nights, you'll see a man and his son making Havdalah, for example. Or sometimes even if you'll see a family together, you'll see the man and the son blessing, and you'll see maybe possibly a woman on the side. The only places in prayer books where you will sometimes see women is lighting Shabbat candles. So that's really, that's really striking. Ilana,
0: at Modern Orthodox Day schools, are girls uh, permitted or encouraged to study
1: Torah? We asked that in our teacher survey, and we found that in somewhere between 30 and 40% of schools, boys and girls have different curricula for Jewish studies. And th- th- that's for a primary school, for elementary school. In high school, the numbers increase. So that means they're not
0: studying Torah?
1: Um, they're studying Torah, but Torah has a lot of definitions. You know, Torah can be, you know, you have a few a few stories cut out in a workbook and you're going through a workbook, or it can mean you open up the Bible and you study the primary sources. So when they say, so for instance, take, um, you know, uh, the oral law, for example, the Talmud. So the Talmud is really the highest... to to reach the highest echelons of Jewish learning. So um, in many high schools, the boys will learn Talmud straight from the primary sources. They'll learn a lot of hours a day, while girls learn fewer hours a day from the watered-down workbook version and call it Toshba instead of Talmud. Well, our contention actually is that there's a similarity between the way Jewish schools treat Talmud and the way way schools everywhere treat sciences, which is that, you know, it's considered the highest level of scholarship. And it's supposed to be sort of like this exclusive club. And it's not really meant for girls kind of thing. Um, And there are articles all the time about discrepancies between boys and girls. Today, an article came out, a study came out in the UK about why it is that uh, for every eight jobs in physics, only one goes to a woman. And what they found is it has to do with messages that girls receive when they are in school, when they are in sciences. What do teachers say to girls who are in science? Do girls get encouraged the same way? The New York Times Magazine had an article in October about this. This woman who described how 20 years ago she was one of two graduate students in physics at Yale. And how not once did anybody in the entire department ever encourage her to take a career in sciences, or in physics, and she wants to know why. She says today there are more than two, something like thirty percent of all physics students at Yale are now women. But um, the women, in the qu- quoted in the article, the students of of physics at Yale still complain. They say, you know, the boys don't take us seriously. They don't listen when we talk. And in the staff, in the in the faculty of the physics department, there's still only one woman on on the tenured staff. So this is it really isn't just an orthodox problem in that sense. It's also a it's also a problem in school systems generally. And that's what we based it on. And it was what, what what we what we, wrote. we wrote our book precisely because we felt that there was so much research out there about gender and education, and none of it actually looked at what's going on in Jewish schools. And we wanted to know how Jewish schools compared to the rest of the to the rest of the world. Are they doing better? Are they doing worse? And what we found is that there are a lot of that all the issues that take that are problematic in the world are also problematic in Jewish schools. And plus, there are a few extras, you know, like for instance, how we teach Shabbat in early childhood. For example,
0: one of the most upsetting sections in your book is the discussion of snoot or modesty. And I was stunned by one quote you had from I think it was a teacher or an administrator who said that their school passed a rule that they would only spend 20 minutes in their one hour staff meetings talking about problems with what girls in the school were wearing. You argue that this obsession with modesty is detrimental to girls' development in all sorts of ways, educational, psychological, and in terms of their relationship to Judaism. Would you break that all down for us?
1: Well, okay, yeah. So that is really upsetting. That story still remains very upsetting. Um, Yeah, so how is the obsession with modesty detrimental to girls? They pretty much learn from really early on that what it means to be religious is how long is my skirt and we got this tons we got this from um interviews i actually did a lot of a lot of my doctoral research on this subject so i interviewed dozens of girls, and the second you start talking about religion, like what does religion mean to you? How religious are you? They'll say, oh, I wear skirts. I don't wear skirts. Oh, I wear sleeves to my elbows. Oh, I wear sleeves like this. Like they can't even have a conversation about identity without first describing their clothes. And even after they finish the description of clothes and they finish a whole you know, debate or argument about it, I'm not even always sure there's something else there. I'm not even sure that they're having a real discussion about what it means to be religious. Like, what does it mean to be spiritually connected? What does it mean to live a spiritual life? Skirts is not a spiritual life. Skirts is body cover. So there's that. So one is that it sort of obfuscates an entire discussion about connection to God. And then, of course, there's the issue of the internalized gaze on the female body. Gaze, G-A-Z-E, right? So that The girls learn from the time they're five that they are being watched and looked at Their body, their skin, their movement is being watched and looked at. And before they even have even the tiniest hormone of puberty entering their body, before they even know what anything about sex is, they're already learning that men are looking at them sexually. I mean, what does that do? If they're learning when they're five years old that they have to cover their knees in a certain way because adult men might be looking at their knees, what exactly are they learning? You know, that's really, really troubling. I mean, what are boys learning? When boys are learning that girls have to cover up from the time that they're five because boys can't help themselves but look at girls' knees, what are we teaching boys about their own sexuality, about their own relationships with girls? We're teaching them that... Boys can't control themselves, that boys cannot have a normal relationship with girls, that boys only see girls as sexual objects, that there is no other way, that this is the natural way and that we just need to accept it. And that the, as a result of this, girls have to constantly be covering and be aware, being aware of covering, and boys have to constantly be aware of the girl as a sexual object. And if you don't, let's say a boy is sitting and talking to a girl and not sexualizing her, he's going to be thinking to himself, what's wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And girls, on the other hand, are taught that they don't have any sexuality at all, right? Women's sexual desire is a non-existent concept <laughs> in all of Judaism. There's nowhere, you know, where women are taught, oh, well, maybe boys should cover up too because when a, you know, when a woman sees a man, you know, she gets all excited and turned on and can't control herself. Like that is a narrative that is just foreign <laughs> to Jewish life. It doesn't exist anywhere. So there are a lot of messages that come from this and they're all troubling, they're all troubling. And and kids are learning this from five years old.
0: There might be some people in our audience listening to our conversation and thinking, look, this isn't really about education. It's about religion, and it's specifically about orthodoxy. So if, according to Jewish belief, men and women are fundamentally and immutably different, and they have different relationships to text and to ritual and to halakha, Jewish law – does it really make sense to take these day schools to task for replicating those relationships at school and actually trying to reinforce them? What do you say to those people?
1: Okay, so there are a few different parts to that I answer. So, first of all, this is not necessarily the way orthodoxy has to be, and it's not necessarily what all orthodox people want. It's not a lot of what we're seeing in the schools has less to do with Jewish law, with halacha, and more to do with the way, with convention, with the way some people just want it to be or want their worlds to be. You know, the Orthodox community has seen a lot of changes over the last 20 years in the status of women. There are, for 30 years even, there are women's prayer groups, women's fila groups in almost every community. There are something called the Partnership Minyanim, which are, um, which are synagogues that, um, try to maximize women's participation and strive for egalitarianism as much as possible. You have the Maharat revolution of women in these uh, quasi-rabbinical positions, and you have a whole slew of women Talmud scholars. So it's not really fair to say that these practices that, let's say, exclude women from Talmud from the time you know that they're 12 or 13, that these reflect orthodoxy because it doesn't reflect orthodoxy. It reflects a very old version of what orthodoxy might once have been, but orthodoxy has advanced a lot since then. So um, the, the changes that we've seen in orthodoxy aren't really finding expression in the schools. You see a lot of educators in schools who are guided more by politics rather than pedagogy. They're guided more by ideas about what will people think rather than what is really good for the child. So we saw this, you know, over the past few weeks, there's been this big controversy about girls wearing tefillin, and it's caused this huge uproar throughout the Orthodox world. What does it mean that these schools are suddenly allowing girls to wear tefillin? So now you have all these rabbis, you know, writing all these op-eds and blogs saying, what do you mean? How could schools do that? But the fact is that almost everyone agrees that there is no real halakhic objection to girls wearing tefillin. Like so much of the discussion has absolutely nothing to do really with even with pedagogy with saying with saying well let 's think about this this person let 's think about this girl who's coming to you she 's a thirteen twelve thirteen year old girl she just had her about mitzvah, and she really wants to pray to God in the most sincere way possible, wearing phylacteries, just like the boys are. That's what she wants to do. She wants to connect with God. Isn't that what we want? So a sort of pedagogical response would be one which looks at this person, this child, this beautiful creature of God and says, let me help you on your spiritual journey. What a beautiful thing that is that you want to connect to God. That would be what we consider to be a beautiful pedagogical response. That is what would be in the in the spirit of our book title, right, Educating in the Divine Image, where you're looking at the child and saying, Wow, this child is a creature of God trying to connect spiritually, but instead what we 're hearing is you know all of this stuff about what will the neighbors think and what will people think and you know oh my god we 're going to become reform we 're going to become conservative all of these considerations that really have nothing to do with pedagogy and everything to do with politics and our contention is that we want to get Judaism back to its spiritual core to its spiritual roots where first and foremost we see one another as as human beings created in the divine image we want, we want to bring the back to that we're not trying to say religion needs to change we're saying no we want this this is what it means to be religious this is fundamentally what it is to be religious our goals are religious goals so yeah in that sense we're not challenging orthodoxy we're saying this is what orthodoxy is meant to be Ilana Stockman thank you so much for speaking with us my pleasure thank you for having me and thank you for all the interesting questions
0: Ilana Stockman is the co-author, with Chaya Rosenfeld-Gorsetman, of Educating in the Divine Image, Gender Issues in Orthodox Jewish Day Schools. The book came out in January and was recently named a winner of the National Jewish Book Council Award. Stockman spoke with us from her home in Modi'in. What about you? Did you go to a Jewish day school? If so, did it prepare you intellectually, emotionally, spiritually for the world that you live in today? We want to know what you think. Send us an email at podcast at tabletmag.com or find this episode on our website, tabletmag.com, and post a comment there. You can even post a comment on Facebook. Go for it. Be part of the conversation. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm Sarah Ivry. As always, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time.